Podcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, this is the Brad LaFrette Show, a podcast featuring the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Beyond. Listen in as Brad interviews the biggest names from independent promotions across the world to AEW and beyond. A podcast for the fans, by a fan. And here's your host, Brad LaFrette. Welcome to the first episode of the Brad LaFrat Show. I'm your host, Brad LaFrat. My first guest is a former WWE and ESPN editor, Matty Irish. Matt and I get into his experiences working behind the scenes for WWE and ESPN. I also talked to Matt about venturing into the world as a published author. So, with no further ado, here's my interview with Matty Irish. Now, it's time for the Brad LaFrat Show Interview of the Week. I would like to introduce my first guest. He's a former ESPN and WWE editor, and if that's not an impressive enough resume, he's also an author now. He is Matty Irish. Matty, thanks for taking the time to join me today. How are you, man? Uh, thank you. This is, this is great. I, I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Um, I guess uh, with the world uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty right now, how is your, how are you and your family holding up in these uncertain times with COVID-19 and a lot of social issues coming to the forefront? How are you doing and how's your family doing? Uh, we are good. We are quarantined. We're quarantined in Florida. So uh, the safest thing to do is just stay home. Uh, my wife's a teacher, so unfortunately, she's got to go back to school uh, tomorrow. Or is well, she's back to school. Kids are back to school on Wednesday. So the last few weeks have been trying to come to terms with that, trying to get that all figured out, and make sure she's safe and taken care of, and everything's uh, as protected as can be, considering the situation. Um, my kids are going back to school online. It's it's just the smart thing to do, I think. Um, we're lucky enough in our county, we're doing a blended option where you can either go online, you can go in person, and then after that first quarter, if things have gotten better, you can opt to either go back to school in person or you can stay online. Um, it, it just seems like the smartest thing to do. It's it's crazy down here. It's It's still being looked at as a hoax by a bunch of people. So it's a lot of trying to just ignore the people that don't believe it and just stay to yourself and take care of your own family. But for the most part, I mean, what I do, I can do online. I can do from home. Uh, that part's easy. Uh, I can't substitute teach anymore, but that's not really that big a deal. I mean, it's one of those situations where it's like, you, you, if you're a substitute teacher, you know, going into the job that you're going to get sick all the time. Now that that sickness can kill you, it's not really an option for a lot of people. Um, so I, that's why I've pretty much moved everything that I do online and trying to get at least noticed that way. So I can at least be creative and still have interactions with people and still have things like this without going out and getting sick. Public service announcement. My wife is a critical care nurse. It is not a host. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into wrestling. We, me and you both love the world of pro professional wrestling. 
at some point in time as a fan, we've all been sucked in and we have that moment where like, I love it. What is that first memory of pro wrestling for you? Um, it's hard because I, for me, it feels like I've always watched. Like, I feel like I've grown up like out of the crib and just started watching wrestling. Um, the first very probably vivid memory I have is Hogan Warrior at WrestleMania six. Um, that was probably the first one that I can remember sitting with my friend Chris and watching and just being in absolute awe of what was going on. The fact that these two guys were both good guys and yet they still didn't like each other and they're still kind of beating the crap out of each other. And you're supposed to cheer for one another, even though you are also supposed to like both of them. And I loved that dynamic. I love the idea of letting the audience choose. And even though both guys could still be the good guys, they're still fighting for something there there's still a story there to be told and it doesn't always have to be good versus evil that being said i i even though i started watching wwf i've found especially in the last few years going back and watching a lot of older stuff i was actually probably more of a fan of nwa uh wcw i tended to watch the 605 every saturday night on wcw saturday night and i just in going back and i didn't really notice it during my teen years and then going in my adult years but now with the network and being able to go back and watch all this stuff again i'm having vivid like recollection and memories of sitting and watching on a little tiny tv in my in my room and seeing sting versus rick rude and the flying brian stunning steve as the hollywood blondes and things like that and i absolutely fell in love with that style and the idea of these guys going in for a fight compared to the show that wwf kind of focused more on which I watched, I mean, I watched everything. I mean, I watched from, I, I, I watched WWF, WCW, ECW, NWA, Mid-South, anything I could get my hands on at the video store, I, I got. If my friends had tapes, we traded. It was one of those things where I could not get enough of this. It was this form of storytelling that really brought me in. It was the idea of live entertainment, but there also being a physical fighting aspect of it as well. So where did your journey start? You worked with both WWE and ESPN. Kind of tell me the steps, where you went to school, how that's how that process went for you to get into those really big companies. Sure. Um, I am originally from Connecticut, back up north. Um, I went to school at, uh, well, it's not really a small school anymore. It was small when I went there and my parents went there, but uh, Sacred Heart University in Fairfields. And uh, unbeknownst to me, and I didn't really know until I was about to graduate, um, the McMahons were on the board of ed, or not board of ed, but board of directors for the school. So WWE came to like our career fairs. They were kind of a constant presence if there was fundraising and things like that. The McMahons and especially Linda always seemed to be kind of kind of on the bubble. Um, so there was always a little bit of a connection there. Um, I went to school originally, oh, not originally, but I went to school as an English major. Um, so I was very much into writing and reading and doing all that stuff. But I also had a minor in media studies, uh, which was kind of what a film student would be in a private school. Um, they didn't really have a film department, but they had media, which is basically everything. 
Um, and then in my senior, senior year, my junior or senior year, I did a little um, short film, a short horror film where I used uh, Kane's theme music. Um, and apparently once that got out and once, because our teacher submitted it to a bunch of local festivals and things like that, it got seen and got things like that. So when career fair came around, I brought it to WWE and it was with my resume and everything. And I lucked into a job right out of college. It was one of those where I was working retail and then you just get a phone call saying, Hey, come in for an interview. And three weeks later I started, it was insane. It, it, it made absolutely no sense to me. Uh, it came out of nowhere. I, I didn't know why I was qualified over other people. Um, it just was luck. It was absolutely pure luck. Um, I started out as an intern. It's everybody pretty much started out as an intern, especially at my age. I was 22 at the time. Um, and you kind of work your way up. I started as an intern in uh, live event promotions, which was, we cut the, um, what I, I'm trying to, to describe what these promos are. Uh, when you watch Raw or you watch SmackDown, and you get those local live event promos of Raw's coming to your town or SmackDown Live here at your local arena. Those are what we did. Uh, we cut, I think, 80-something of those a week. Um, yeah, it was one of those situations wow. where you cut one and then you hoped that you can use the same one for the next one and then just kind of modified it every time. Um, but it was different tag pages, different things like that. And it was more of a detail-oriented job where you had to sit there and make sure all the info was right, the phone numbers were right, all those things. Things they wanted a college kid for. Uh, it made sense. Um, what I lucked out and I was able to take advantage of was the fact that being in WWE when I did, and I was there from, I want to say 2005 to 2006, um, it was still a very small television department. Um, it was uh, its own building, but the television building back then was just a warehouse. Um, it was a warehouse they converted into a TV studio that had about, I want to say, seven edit rooms around there. So it was an interesting dynamic when you're working for a worldwide company with only seven edit rooms trying to get everything done. Um, as an intern, you're on the low end of the totem pole, so you just kind of got in whenever you get in. I didn't have a life. So I just kind of stuck around all day and just snuck in at seven, eight o'clock at night. And by doing so, I was able to get those little promos that the producers and people higher up than me didn't want to do. Um, so I was able to cut a lot of things for Canada. I cut a lot of DX promos, SummerSlam promos, things like that, that were never really aired here because they were contests for like, um, uh, uh, I forget what their network they were on. Um, but they, it was one of those situations where all of those people, because it was a small television company, the producers and all the people that cut the promos for, that you see on Raw and then you see on SmackDown and the commercials that you see, like the weekly episodic things, all of those producers were all busy doing those. And yet they still had a lot of things that had to be done and sent out to networks all over the world. So guys like me who, yeah, were able to do their job within... A couple hours a day then had all of this other stuff that was kind of up for grabs where if you had the initiative and you had the drive you could really make a pretty good resume for yourself um, there is a lot of opportunity as far as that goes uh, it, it was 
kind of a double-edged sword because uh, there was a lot of opportunity, but then there was also a, a lot of instances where people might not agree with what you were doing and might not like your creative direction. Uh, and that became one of those situations where it's like, okay, like, am I doing this right? Am I, am, is this what I want to do? And being a 22 year old kid, it's whatever your boss or whatever the creative director says you think is gospel. Like you think they are the end all be all of what is good creatively and what people want to see. And take me into working at ESPN, you realize, oh, there's a lot of people out there that with a lot of different tastes and a lot of different things they want to see. And it just, in a small company, you don't really get that sense. But I, WWE, it was one of those things where I, I, I explained it to my wife as it felt like I was working in the circus sometimes. It was weird and strange and crazy, but it was also like exhilarating at times because I mean, there was times when you're sitting around and you're waiting for a pay-per-view to start and somebody calls out, and I'm not talking about like one of us, I'm talking about a wrestler. I mean, we had times when guys backed out of pay-per-views two hours before the show and then we're on the other end trying to cut promos and try to cut videos and get this guy out of the show. And it, it, it was a, I would say one thing about WWE is that the work rate and the creativity that these guys and girls have to come out weekly is insane. Like they have to come up, they have to try to come up with something new and something enticing and something exciting for an audience that looks different than every other thing they've done. And it's hard when you got to do it every single week. Like there's a couple producers there that are probably still there since I was there that I don't know how they do it. They are absolute geniuses in the way that they work and then the, the drive they have and the, the, the minds they have. It's crazy. But the turnaround and the intensity and, the, and what you had to work with there, it, it's a rough job. It's a job that if you're not ready for it, it will eat you up and spit you out. It's definitely from everything, just from a fan's perspective, it seems like it's a very much a 25 eight day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I lived in Fairfield at the time and we all know they're in Sanford. Uh, it was about a 20 minute drive with traffic. It took me about two hours. <laughs> and then I would be there from about seven or eight o'clock in the morning till whenever. Uh, prob and when I say whenever, I mean like one o'clock the next morning. It was just a situation where it's like you went in and you got the work done. It didn't matter how long it took you. It didn't matter if you were sitting around for seven hours of the day because you couldn't get an edit room. That didn't matter. It, all that mattered is, is that the work got done. So it really is a, a situation where if you're not ready for it or if you want to have a life outside of it or if you, if you think that it's just going to be a fun thing where you get to go in and get to play with wrestlers and, and work for a WWE, it, it, it's way more intense than I think any fan actually truly realizes on the production side, at least. Is there anybody in production or maybe a talent that you had an opportunity to work with that you really enjoyed and learned a lot from? Yeah, there was a few people on the production side where I was able not so much work with. It was a lot more of a, here's my work. Check it out. See what you think. Um, as far as like wrestlers and, and I worked with, I was hesitant to tell a story, but I'll tell a story. Uh, I was working WrestleMania, I want to say, um, 
God, I'm going to get roasted for this one. Oh, I want to say it was WrestleMania 23. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was WrestleMania 22 because it was one in Chicago. Um, and it was Triple H and John Cena. And they, it was the year that they were doing a lot of uh, their workout promos in Chicago showing how they grew up and how they established themselves. And John's were all filmed back in the old gym and his hard knocks gym and seeing how this rough grimy kid became a star. And then Triple H's were all filmed at the studio. They were all filmed in the, in the gym at the bottom of the corporate tower. Um, so we were more involved with that one because it wasn't a remote gig. It was back here at home. So <laughs> interesting thing was that we were all kind of doing our own thing, all kind of working. And we get a panic phone call from the shoot over where Triple H is working. And apparently they had run out of baby oil. Seems weird. Uh, but when you think about it, okay, yeah, I guess they're, they're shooting. They want to look good, but okay. So I'm like, all right, they ran out. Like, oh, you got to go and get baby oil. Okay, so I'm here I am running around the streets of Stanford trying to find a CVS and find a jug of baby oil to bring back and find whatever, <laughs> run it over to the tower, bring it downstairs and, and walk into the chute and lights everywhere. Everybody's working, everybody's running around and I'm just kind of standing over in the corner with this little 22 year old kid. And I'm just like, oh, you got your baby oil. And you just get Triple H come walking over and his barely wearing anything because he's working out shooting something. He's just like, yeah, thanks, kid. And just walks into the bathroom and starts blathering baby oil on himself. And it was just one of those situations where it's like, he walked by me and I'm like looking around at everything. Okay. I guess this is a normal day. <laughs> I, I guess this is my job, but kind of cool. Kind of different. It was <laughs> not something you ever expected to put on your resume. Um, it's something that is fun and a fun story to tell. And it's, it's a, it's a fun part of the business that you don't really get to see. It's these guys just being normal dudes. Like Triple H used to sit in the lunchroom and just tell stories for hours. Um, I remember me, Gene Ogerlin used to come in and would come in for absolutely no reason whatsoever, but just to sit there and talk to people. And he would just sit in our lunchroom and whoever went on lunch, this is like they would come in. He would be sitting there telling stories and he would have a, a group of people, like 20, 30 people around him and people from interns all the way up to executives just listening to his stories over and over again. And they were some of the most foul and some of the most just insane things I've ever heard of in his time in the eighties. And it was not the mean gene I ever grew up with. I'll tell you that it was a, a different side of the man that I didn't expect to, to hear about, but it was a fun, weird place to work. I will say probably my, my greatest accomplishment. Um, my, my kind of the pinnacle of what I did and, and kind of also my downfall there um, was when we relaunched ECW and as a third brand and uh because i was part of promos it was asked of us to create a new live event for the ecw shows because they were going to do house shows as well so coming to your town ecw and everything else and for the most part all of these looked exactly the same we had shells we built and those would look the same for all the raw shows and for all the smackdown shows well we needed a new shell built and I volunteered to do it. I thought this was my opportunity to make something new and make something different and see how they liked it. Um, went great. 
uh, everything. I did something different than what they were doing. I it made it look a little more ECW. Um, we threw in that television static look where it was very old '90s ECW style. Um, got it done in time. I mean, we were told Friday night that it needed to be done, and for Sunday's pay per view, the second one night stand show. Um, so nobody thought it was going to be done. Nobody thought we were going to be ready. Um, got it done. Got it fed to the truck. Um, was actually was the only time that I had my boss at the time come up to me and tell me that Vince and Kevin loved it. Only time in my career that I ever got feedback like that. And that I heard them talking about it when I went and sat in on the feed. And it was a highlight of my time. Like, I could not have been more proud. It was very cool to have that type of re response from the people in charge that it just like made my year. Like, this is what I wanted to do. This is the type of thing I like I got into TV for. Um, was going good. It went great. We produced them every week for three or four, three or four months. The 2005 one night stand is still my favorite pay-per-view of all time. I I'm a hardcore I'm a, I'm a mark for the original ECW and that I felt like that pay-per-view just brought everything together. The, the look, the feel, being in Hammerstein, I felt the WWE production at, at addition to that pay-per-view just put it all together. And that's still my, you know, it's definitely their best reunion show they put together well, for the company. That reaction, your reaction is why they went ahead and made a brand. And it just, when 2006 came around, it was going great. Everything looked great. And what I didn't realize at the time was everything going on behind the scenes with Paul. Um, and these, this idea that he wasn't getting along great and that the ECW brand was kind of dead on arrival and for us in production, we were just told, this is what we need to do, go and do it. We don't get any of the behind the scenes stuff. We're barely told what's going on. So uh, for us, it's like, okay, this is what you need done. This is what we're gonna do. And we're gonna do it the best we possibly can and make it look as awesome as we possibly can. Uh, unfortunately, I think I was the, uh, I might've been the one of the fall guys for when Paul uh, would left and kind of got done with it all and said, this isn't ECW and I don't want to deal with it anymore. Uh, I think because I was the one that kind of contributed part of the look and because when I was let go, I was brought in and told that that promo was not how we do it at WWE and was not what is expected of me. And we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> I, I thought it was done very well. Kind of moving on from your WWE experience, you also spent some time at ESPN at, you know, me growing up, I, I love, you know, I love my pro wrestling, but I'm also a big college football, basketball. Um, I love, at, at a fall, I'm a Cubs and a Bears fan, and I love my, my different I just, I love, I love sports, and Sports Center was a big part of my childhood. I wake up before school, turn on Sports Center. You know, it's, it's, it's also a big operation as well. What was it like for you there? Uh, ESPN was, was wild. It was, I, I, it's hard to explain. It was, I, I left or I was let go from WWE and about three or four months later, I got a call from ESPN, uh, saying that they were just looking for people. 
Um, and so I put in an application, I applied. I got lucky. Uh, I have a lot of weird experience on my resume. Um, I've, I, right out of high school, when I started college, my old high school, uh, there, jump back even further, when I was in the high school, they didn't have a drama program. They only had a music program. I helped create a drama program. And then when I graduated, they hired me back to come back and run the drama program for the next four years. So I've done, I ran things like the light design and lighting, the sets, the set building, the sound engineering and live sound mics. I've, I've directed, I've done everything. So when ESPN called, they were asking, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to, what do you apply? What's your background in? And I laid all this out for them and they're like, oh, okay great i go in for the interview and they had four people there from each department interviewing me seeing which one wanted to take me into their department if that had happened at wwe it that would have been insane the idea that this one company has different supervisors not only the supervisor but just different hiring people for each different department blew my mind because I was coming from a place where it was just one tiny, not tiny, but one warehouse building of television studio stuff. This was multiple buildings across the entire campus, everybody doing their one job compared to, I was doing like six or seven jobs at WWE. Like this one was very much, okay, if you want to be an editor, which I did, this is your edit room. This is where you're working. These are the shows you're working on. This is what you're going to do. Um, it was very hard to kind of branch out there. Um, they liked you being able to focus in on what they're paying you to focus in on, obviously. Um, they want you to be the best at what you do. And I fully understand that and believe that. I would have liked to get out and do a little bit more. I did have opportunity, some opportunities to go out and run cameras and do lights and things like that. But it was more of a learning experience, another person's job than it was go out and help out in another show. Um, I will say though, the environment there was, was great. I mean, everybody was there looking to create the, a better product. It was very much a factory system in the fact that you're basically a cog in the machine. Um, nobody knows that you work there. Nobody knows what you're publishing or putting out into the world. Nobody knows who you are. They just know Sports Center and they know that the anchor is on Sports Center and the things that look cool. And that's by design and it's understandable, but it was, it was a, a, a great place to learn and to learn from other people and to learn from other editors the the amount of times i was able to just sit in somebody's edit room and watch them work i like it, it was unbelievably a, a a fostering creative situation because you were able to just literally look over somebody's shoulder and watch how they're interacting with the footage that you might have trouble with and learn new things right there in front of you compared to sitting and watching a YouTube video for an hour or whatever it may be. In that sense, it was fantastic. The other editors I got along great with and it was a, it was a great community environment of trying to put on the best show possible and i and i got to work on everything i mean i worked on everything from sports center to nfl live to international soccer shows to boxing to ufc to anything you can think of i was able to work on and that 
like I went back and started looking at some of my reels when uh, you asked about this interview, just to kind of refresh my memory of some of the things I've worked on. And it was crazy the amount of things that I was able to do. And I didn't really appreciate it back then because it was just, it was one day after another, every day you had to come up with something new and come up with something different. So it was, it was very fast paced and very, get it out, get it done, move on to the next thing. Uh, but it was, it was fun. It was stressful. I mean, it was stressful, but I mean, I was there for, I want to say nine years, eight, eight, nine years. And I mean, I'm 37 now, but because I sat in an edit room for eight, nine years, I feel like I'm in my twenties. I feel like there's, because I went from working that live stage theater throughout college and doing all that. So then working WWE, which is very similar to live theater to go to ESPN where it was like, okay, this is your room. You sit in here for 10 hours. We will send you the clips that you have to make better and clean up. And then you go home. I mean, for a lot of people, that's awesome. For me, it was a different form of a nine to five job. It was, it was longer hours and I, yeah, I was working for the worldwide leader in sports, but it was a sit here, do this, do that, go home. And I'm more of a guy who wants to get out and do different things, create something new, do something, do something more creative than just kind of a news station. And that's did what. You a, did you have a like a specific reel or a piece or a part of a show that you're most proud of that you did at ESPN? Uh, I did a lot of college football, and I did a lot of the. Um, one of the things that I kind of creative and created a niche for myself was I create, I was able to make a lot of contacts with musicians and with bands. And what I was able to do was make these contacts with the bands and then get their songs on ESPN. So I was able to kind of create a relationship and then be like, Hey, I want to use this song for a montage. And by doing that, I was able to get them to their the ESPN legal department and get all this stuff cleared. And because I had such a good working relationship with the college football crew, I was able to then create a montage with original music that hadn't been seen before. And I was doing it on a weekly basis. I was doing week 10, week 11, week 12, just whatever the top games were for that week, we would air them on Saturday morning um, a few times to get people excited for that afternoon's games. Um, but college football was a lot of fun to work on. That was very much a, it, it felt more Wild West to me because there wasn't a lot of oversight. It wasn't the NFL. It was just kind of, let's make this fun for college kids and let's get kids excited and people excited for what's going on this afternoon. So we had a little more freedom in what we want to do. Um, be there at college football and then INET, which was our international uh, working on soccer and, and working on rugby and cricket and things like that. The random weird stuff that you wouldn't see on a normal ESPN. Those are fun because there was even less oversight over INET because in their mind, if they don't see it on their TV, it doesn't exist. So we were able to do a lot of fun stuff with different videos and different montages and video packages and different ideas. And we were able to do green screen with a lot of the, uh, 
with the uh, sportscasters and a lot of the anchors because they just wanted to have fun too and they would do weird stuff for their shows. So the iNet shows were a lot of fun to work on just because of the creative aspect of it and being able to do something different. Um, but the co college football, I mean, between the people that worked on the show and the people who ran the show, um, to the directors and the producers who gave us a lot of freedom and a lot of leeway in what we were doing, um, that was a lot of fun to work on. You're speaking of creativity. You are also an author now. Can let's talk about your book and plug it. Where I don't I don't know the specifics. Uh, so I'd love to have our listeners be able to get on and be able to if if your if your book is available for purchase to be able to where they can find it. Plug well, your book. <laughs> interestingly, it's um. The book that I think you're referring to actually is only in the editing stage of it right now. Okay. Um, I actually finished it earlier this year, at the end of last year. It was one of those, it, it, 2020 is all screwed up. <laughs> um, but I finished it and like, I finished it. We sent it to an editor. Um, it was getting, gr I was getting great feedback on it. Um, she loved it. And then COVID hit and pretty much shut everything down. Um, the book industry just kind of shut down. Everything kind of collapsed. Um, so for, for that point, it, it's ready. It's done. It's good to go. Um, it's actually a fiction book. I did it more for, I did it for my kids. Uh, it's a fiction fantasy book about a boy whose father gets kidnapped. And they, during the course of trying to figure out what happens, he finds out that he's actually what's called a clock keeper, which what he does is protect the timelines from fictional characters from breaking over into our timeline. So it's a story him and his friend who are trying to find his parents and try to save them with the help of fictional characters that are working with his father to kind of keep everything on the straight and narrow. So I have people like Captain Hook, uh, Man in Black from Princess Bride, characters like that, randomness that my kids love, that I love, that I we always felt needed a little bit more to their story. So we kind of just wrote their own story. Um, I think it came out great. They love it. Um, my wife loves it. Uh, nobody, obviously nobody else has read it because it's only, it's in the editor's hands. Um, I don't know if, when or if it'll get done. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it'll get done soon and then we, I can set it out there. Um, but it was a lot of fun because the way I wrote, I wrote it and then I would read each chapter to my kids every night. And it was one of those where if I don't think if I did that, I don't know if I would finish it because it was, it was their reaction and seeing how much they loved it and how much they wanted to see, hear the next chapter that kept me going. <clears throat> and that actually gave me new ideas and, and, and kept the narrative going. So it was a lot of fun to do. I do have another book that's actually on Amazon right now. Um, if you search, I think if you just search Matthew Herrick, which is my real name, um, but it's a collection of essays and articles <clears throat> that I kind of compiled over my years of uh, reporting and uh, working for website insidepulse.com and uh, hittingthecanvas.com. Uh, it's a website that I worked for during my time at ESPN where when I couldn't work in wrestling, that's what I did. I was able to interview a lot of guys. I interviewed like uh, Bobby Roode, James Storm when they were beer money. I was able to interview guys like Jake the Snake and DDP when they were doing the accountability crib. Um, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, kind of anybody in the last 10 years I was able to 
kind of get my hands on and do an article or two with. Um, so that book that's on there now is a couple of those interviews and it's a few of the uh, longer essays and longer articles and pieces that I've written over the, I've written over the years. <clears throat> so it's just kind of a way because the, the website was sold and both websites were sold and it was kind of a way for me to preserve all the work that I've done over the last few years and kind of put it into a book form just just to have we'll keep our fingers crossed and before we wrap things up today i i'd be remiss if i didn't ask what is next for maddie irish you have put out some i, I gotta say some awesome edits some reels for aw and more specifically for cody rhodes and the all-out pay-per-view on september 5th what what's next for you i would love me personally, I'm just going to put it out there. I personally love to see you get hired by AEW. Thank you. Um, I hope that we can start something and get you get uh, your work is awesome. You need to be you need to be working somewhere in the pro wrestling world. If it's not for AEW, it's somewhere. Well, th I think I really appreciate that. Um, it yeah, this is. This is what I've always wanted to do. I've always, I've always wanted to work in wrestling. I've, I've wanted to work in wrestling since I was a kid. I mean, I, I never, never really thought about being a wrestler. I always kind of liked the behind the scenes. I always wanted to be an announcer or a commentator. I always wanted to be JR. That's what my goal was. I wanted to be Jim Ross. I wanted to be able to tell the story that the wrestlers were trying to portray on screen in the ring. Like, I consider myself a storyteller. I consider to be that... For that to be my strongest aspect of me, I think I could tell a pretty good story no matter what form of media I'm working with. Yeah, my goal is AW. Uh, put it out there. I mean, I I I make I'm not shy about it. <laughs> um, I'm I'm kind of focusing. I it's a company I've loved since they've debuted. Uh, we went to the first uh, Fighter Fest, my wife and I, and saw saw the production and saw what they were trying to do for pro wrestling. And I knew that I just felt like I could fit there. I felt like m my work and the way that I work and my mindset, I think fits fits with what they're trying to accomplish. Now, if it happens, fantastic if it's not i'm i'm doing what i'm doing i mean i i love being able to put out videos i love getting seeing people actually genuinely get excited for pro wrestling because of something i want i made like it's it's what i always wanted for my work is for other people to get excited for something that's not even mine like i i'm making these videos for a company i don't even work for just because i love it that much and it's yeah that's the goal it's i would love to work in wrestling period i think considering my love of theater and being able to work in front of and getting that instant feedback that instant uh live event reaction um, that's always been my goal. That's always been my love. It's always been the dream to be able to work for someone or do something in front of a live audience. Like that is that instant feedback. And it, I've never been a wrestler. I will never even try to compare my life to a wrestler's life. But I understand when they talk about needing that reaction from the crowd and missing that and missing that instant feedback that they get from performing in a ring it's it's an adrenaline rush and it's something that you try to do try to find in your everyday life because it's just that instant 
I don't, it's that instant endorphin rush of yes, what I'm doing, people enjoy. And I'm getting that a little bit online. I'm getting that a little bit with my videos. And I, I, I'll tell you the ones that I think are successful when I say my videos and the ones that I think are really work are the ones that the guys in or girls in them like it. Like my whole goal is just to get these videos in front of their eyes so they can see that somebody appreciates the hard work that they're putting out every week. Like that's all I want to do. Like, I don't care how many people see them. I care if the people in the video saw them. Like, so for me, like, I want to be able to do this for a living. Obviously, I want to be able to to provide for my family by doing this. I just love wrestling. I love being able to contribute in any way I possibly can. And if this is the way I do it, then this is the way I do it. And I make money another way. But yeah, that is the ultimate goal is to work for AEW or right now anyone but the ultimate goal right now would be AEW I think what they're doing is exactly what pro wrestling needed it's exactly what I think a lot of us have been looking for in a company um, not just what you see on screen but how they treat their employees and how they the type of culture they're creating as a business I think it's what we need to see more of in today's world and how they treat their employees should be how everybody treats employee and not just as a number. So they are, they are the grail that I'm reaching for, but I understand that my hard work is what's going to get me there. And if I just have to keep working and keep plugging away at it, that's what I'm going to do. Well, man, I've really appreciated your time before we wrap things up. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere if you search for The Matty Irish. Just make sure you put the the in front of it. Um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter, The Matty Irish underscore. I'm on YouTube, especially on YouTube. My videos are all on there, very easy to find. I'm on Instagram under The Matty Irish. Pretty much any social media device you can find or app you have, you search search that, you'll you'll pretty much find me. Thanks for listening to the Brad LaFrat Show with Brad LaFrat. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a five-star rating. You can also find the Brad LaFrat Show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Breaker, and Radio Public. Interact with Brad on Twitter at Brad LaFrat. Join Brad every other Sunday for an episode of the Brad LaFrat Show.